we have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for 12 months for just $62.99 and save 30% on the newsstand price. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $62.99. You'll find our special subscription offer at australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. I'm Liz Guinness and you're listening to Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Today I have the pleasure of talking again with Jimmy Ashby, who at the ripe old age of 18 cycled around the world solo. It's a few years on from that trip and as we all know, the world is a very different place thanks to COVID. So what does an adventurous spirit like Jimmy do when the world locks down? You guessed it, he explores his home country. With the world shut down and Australia in lockdown, Jimmy planned his next adventure, cycling with his best mate two and a half thousand kilometres from Perth to Cooper Pedy, most of the way following the famous Anne Bedell Highway. Join me today as we explore this incredible trip with Jimmy. Thank you so much for joining us again on Talking Australia. Um, it's been a, a little while since you, we last spoke to you after your around-the-world cycle. Um, obviously, it took some time to recover, and then you embarked on another adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to be back again after another bike ride, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are really keen to hear what your latest adventure was all about. So um, why don't you kick us off and give us a brief overview, and then we'll, we'll dive on in. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, with COVID, we had to look a little bit local and I've had a love for the Australian outback for a number of years now. And a close friend of mine, Chad Freak, and I went off on a big desert adventure. So we started in Perth and rode eastward. So across the plains, the wheat fields, the wheat belt, and then we got to the western side of the Amberdale Highway. So the main expedition was this 1,350-kilometre outback road, which is regarded as one of the most remote roads in Australia. There's only one roadhouse out there, which is Australia's smallest roadhouse. You're not getting any resupply points. The water stretches are huge, and it's basically like riding from Adelaide to Melbourne, filling up your water bottles, turning around and riding back to Adelaide, all on the most horrendous roads you've ever been on sand dunes corrugated the eastern side of the road has never seen any uh, graders or care from road work in its 40 50 year life so the road's just treacherous and it's a road created by len bedell which is an outback hero of mine the roads and work he did in the desert so he was an outback surveyor wasn't he yeah he was you know he created all the marilinga roads and part of the nuclear aspect the gum barrel highway and to be out there and reading his original uh, landmarks and signs was pretty special as well so both chad and i are in awe of that man we'd love to have dinner with him if he was still around and yeah the idea of riding one of his most famous roads and a challenge that has only ever been accomplished by one other person on bicycle. Uh, it kind of just drew us into having a crack at riding across it. 
just flashing back to your trip around the world, was it Chad that joined you? Yeah, so Chad joined me in America for a week. So we've got a pretty big history of riding all sorts of places. And then about six months after my world ride, we did a 2,000-kilometre loop of the South Australian outback, which took us out near Roxby Downs and the Unadatta track and all the Flinders. So, yeah, both him and I work very well in bike adventures together and have found our way for sure. So it, it just sounds like you have trouble sitting still, Jimmy, in one place. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's a world to see and... Yeah, as much as I love home, there's adventure to be had and a drive to keep exploring and on a bike for sure. And do you think um, if it hadn't been for COVID that you might those explorations might have taken you overseas again or were you particularly interested in Australia? Oh, definitely. So I had a three-month trip booked and planned to go back to Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and then COVID came in and it, I guess, forced my hand to look local. And from that, I turned to the deserts. So last year, instead of going to Central Asia, I did two bike rides and I rode to Inaminka across the Streslecki Desert on one trip and then another trip up the Birdsville Track and Plenty Highway all through Alice Springs and the Unadatta Track. So in a way, by not being able to go overseas, it's been a hidden gem in a way because by looking local, you've found incredible, or I've found incredible beauty that's, just on your doorstep, essentially, and you would have looked over have you had the world to explore. Yeah, and, you know, those as you're reeling off those particular roads and tracks, you're thinking iconic, iconic, iconic Australia. Yeah, absolutely. It's the deserts. And, again, the history, like the Lembedells, you then look at the mailman on the Birdsville track, Reg Sprig, Griselda Sprig, like these outback people, adventurers that were there in the 19 hundreds creating these roads traveling them uh for me i've just developed such an awe and by being out there has created that a bit stronger so i guess for most people it would be like uh, why would i ride my bike into the desert you know so what what is it about the desert for you that's so intriguing or challenging or both i think for one it's the remoteness the idea of being hundreds of kilometres from anywhere, from a single building or water tank and knowing you're there on a bike. It's that deep adventure and knowing you're so remote and you've got yourself into it to then get, you've got to get yourself out of it is a big one. So that search and drive for, I guess, a further challenge and adventure. But then, like you were saying, on paper, you know, it's windy out there, the roads suck, it's long stretches, it doesn't Make sense to go out there? Yeah, I mean, to quote you, it was like, there's sand dunes, there's corrugations, it hasn't been touched in 50 years, it's treacherous, and people, most people are like, no, 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 not doing it. But you? Yeah. I think that brings a level of beauty, though, you know, the rawness and the untouched nature. So the vistas you're getting are just endless views of views that don't end, of country that's never been touched. There were times Chad and I would walk 100 metres off the track and just think, you know, we could be the first white people that have ever stood on this spot because it's so remote. Then you add in the colours of the desert. The colours are just incredible. The sunrise, the sunsets, the pinks, the purples, the blues. You know, even when the sun's in the middle of the sky, it creates the most incredible shadows through the dunes and then the night sky as well. I, I'll never see stars again like I do in the desert. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, it is. So, Jimmy, in this latest uh, adventure, 
crazy, wild, raw adventure. Uh, you started out in Perth and you headed east. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what east meant, where you ended up? Yeah, absolutely. So to get to the Amberdell, the Amberdell starts in a town called Laverton, which is just north of Kalgoorlie, so the big mining town. And we essentially looked at it like, well, we could have a warm-up and commute to the start of the real adventure. So over the first week of our trip, we crossed the Perth Hills, the Mundaring Weir area, and then out across the big wheat belt. And from the wheat belt, we got onto the Holland full drive track, which again, on paper, looked like a lot of fun. But we got out there and it started to rain and we've never seen mud like it. It turned into an epic before the epic had even begun. So when you say mud around. like that, yeah, like it was just like you couldn't ride or was it? No, you couldn't ride. You'd go a couple metres and just your whole wheels would be clogged with mud. You wouldn't be able to spin your pedals. You'd just be sliding everywhere. Both Chad and I wore through all of our brake pads in about 100 kilometres, which then meant we couldn't get new brake pads. And for the rest of the trip across the Amberdell, Chad only had front brake and I only had back brakes. So it was a bit of a nightmare in itself and, yeah, quite adventurous start. How important are brakes in that particular scenario? Well, the thing is the desert, it's very flat and straight lines, so you're not really stopping very much. Um, we made it through essentially, just added a bit of spice to the steep sand dunes, I guess. So how did, how did um, the mud wear out the brake pads? Sorry, just for the for the... So it's just the grit getting between the pad material and the disc and because you're sliding through the mud, you're constantly on your brakes and holding them on and just sliding everywhere. It just corrodes the surface of the pad really quickly. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Okay, and yeah. so how long did that go on for? How we? Uh, so we were on that track for a day and we ended up pushing through the mud until about 9 o'clock at night and then just sleeping in this wet puddle. I was going to say, where did you camp that night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was horrendous. It was a very cold and wet night. And then we found some mining road that was better quality and just escaped with our tails between our legs running as fast as we could from this <laughs> nightmare of a beginning to the adventure, which then took us out to the Kalgoorlie-Perth pipeline which is incredible. There's is a service road that goes yeah. next to it. And Chad and I were just blown away. It was like a blessing in disguise getting to, to discover this hidden gem of a track. So this pipeline carries water down to Perth, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's about six or 800 kilometres long. And it's just a huge pipeline with a beautiful gravel service road next to it. And, you know, 100 metres to your right, there's the main highway going across Australia. So you hear trucks and everything, but you just got this private road following a pipeline. So we loved it. And that took us all the way through to Kalgoorlie, where we then crossed some station roads into Laverton. And Laverton's where the adventure began, the Amberdell. The Amberdell Highway is named after Len Bedell. Yeah, so Len Bedell surveyed it with his wife, Anne, and his kid, Connie Sue who was only a few years old. And there's the Connie Sue Highway coming off the Amberdale, but the Amberdale was named, yeah, after his wife, Anne, which is pretty special. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and you were mentioning that he was a bit of a hero of yours prior to the trip or after or during? I think 
prior to the trip, you know, I'd heard whispers about him, but then with the research of the trip, you just start to learn more and more and you read all of his books and yeah, you just understand how incredible this man was. And then you hear of all the famous roads like the Gunbarra Highway and the Maralinga roads and you realise that was all him. Yeah, so he was pushing out into un, you know, unexplored territory, really. White, Absolutely. European, unexplored territory, yeah. Big time. Yeah, and the fact that someone like that can survey these roads. By just heading out there in a four-wheel drive where you're just bashing through mulga trees or spinifex country and the stories of him pumping, like, greater tyres up with a bike pump or all the flats he was getting, it's just, yeah, incredible man, incredible story. So there's kind of two halves to the Amberdale. You've got the Western Australia side, which is the first six or 700 kilometres, and then you cross the South Australian border, and that's kind of where the real challenge begun. So the first bit across WA, there's a couple water tanks scattered across. Uh, they were put there by the Spinifex people. So they're the Indigenous group. They're known as the Spinifex people out there. Um, and they, yeah, they own and live those lands for however long. And they have taken a lot of pride in, I guess, maintaining them in an aspect. So the WA side has seen a grader and some road care a couple of times in its life. So I think it was last graded about five years ago. So as far as deserts roads go, it's an awful road, but compared to that, South Australian side of the Amberdale, it felt like a highway. Um, and going along, that's where the Ilk Olka Roadhouse is, which is a mouthful to say. And that's the most remote roadhouse in Australia, run and operated just to service the local Indigenous communities. So when you say the most remote, so in terms of kilometres, how far from wherever the next place is? Well, it's about 250 kilometres from the closest Indigenous community. And then you're looking at about 700 kilometres from any major town. Um, yeah, which So you is really are crazy. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and to give some scope, it's about 500 kilometres directly north of the Nullarbor. So if you're crossing the main road, it kind of goes in conjunction with that just 500 kilometres north. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, a lot, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people might have seen images of what it looks like out in that country, but um, can, you, can you describe for us what, it, what it's like? What, what are your colours and smells? And It's the beautiful red, so the classic red sand dune country. And you're going along with the sand dunes. So you can imagine going over the top of them. It's like a roller coaster. Here, you're kind of in the valleys. So you look to your left and your right and 100 metres away, there's like big sand dunes and you're just sort of going through this valley of desert, which is pretty epic. And then the scenery changes so fast and it will go from beautiful spinifex clumps and just fields of the spinifex spikes to then these avenues of mulga trees, which Chad and I just fell in love with. We are in awe of. It's about a 15, 20-metre mulga tree and somehow there's just this avenue going straight through them and you're just surrounded by trees and it feels like you're in the forest. And that'll last about 10 kilometres and then suddenly you're back in the spinifex country. So, so just do you know why, why mulgas and then why spinifex? Is there more water underground? Do we not? 
I'm not sure. Mm. I imagine it's just one of those plants and trees that thrive in a desert environment, just like the camels do. And yeah, the camels are another highlight for us. There's got to be tens of thousands of them out there. The camels are just incredible. And do they run around in, in hordes together or are you looking, seeing them more in singularly or? No, they'd be in huge groups and they're quite inquisitive characters. So they'd come quite close to us kind of with interest, trying to work out who we are, what we're doing, or they'd just run along the track in front of you at about 15 kilometres an hour. Got these incredible photos of Chad just riding behind a camel, like a couple of metres behind for, yeah, a few kilometres. They just run in front of you. Um, or one night, because we were riding quite late into the night, uh, you'd just be in the shadows and suddenly you'd look up and there's a huge camel just stood on the road and you're screaming on the brakes in fear of this huge animal <laughs> you're about to ride into or underneath. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, they added to the whole scenery. Yeah, definitely. So I know that, you know, we've done stories in the past with um, uh, explorers or adventurers have walked sort of um, east to west or west to east with their own, you know, crew of camels and have encountered um, wild camels and, you know, have had in sort of uh, encounters with um, the big males as well who could be quite aggressive. I imagine that's more to do with the camels they were travelling with than them. So did you ever experience anything like that or was it...? No, we pondered it quite a bit. At first we weren't sure how to take the camels. Do we run away from them? Do we scared of them? But we kind of learnt they never showed any aggression to us and we think that's because we didn't have any camels with us um, either that or we just smelt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like camels smell kind of bad too, so, you know, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe it was very familiar to them. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So speaking of smelling bad, I can't imagine you're in the desert, there's much water. How does that work for you? Yeah, Chad and I just get on very well. We give each other some space and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> except that you're going to smell. Like we had everything we needed for the eight-day crossing. So we had all of our water, oh, sorry, all of our food. Uh, we had most of our water. Most we were carrying 25 litres. And because we had so much water and food, it just meant we didn't have much space for much else. So we both had a basic bivy, you know, a couple of pairs of underwear, one T-shirt, and it's just part of the adventure, being a bit smelly and, yeah, you accept it. <laughs> uh, I feel like this is part of your, your thing, Jimmy, because the last time we spoke, we talked about the clothing you had or didn't have while you were riding around the, around the world and it, it was similarly sparse. Yeah, it is. I think there's something special in that. You know, you wake up and you don't question what shirt you're going to wear or you just accept that you wash your one pair of undies every day. You don't have a whole collection or cupboard to choose from. You just wear the same clothes and... No one really cares because there's no one really out there. And I reckon the camels don't care either. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so um, ca carrying all of that gear, so would you say, 20, did you say 25 litres of water? Yeah, yep. 25 litres. And then, and then food um, and bivy and, and so on and so forth. How heavy was your bike and all the kit then? So our bikes were about 55 kilos, we reckon, at the heaviest point. And that was from the South Australian border. So once you cross the WASA border, you've got about 650 kilometres of nothing. No water tanks, no food resupply, nothing until you get to Cooper Pedy. 
and that's also where the roads become their worst and the toughest so yeah that's where the challenge really began because we had our heaviest bikes and the worst roads and the longest stretch and yeah it got pretty exciting and tough out there so tough exciting what were the temperatures like yeah the temperatures played a huge aspect so Chad and I would start very early and ride pretty late. So our whole ethos of it was pack light and travel far. So the person that rode this road a number of years ago went with about 50 litres of water and a huge trailer and it took him over twice as long as it did for us. So we kind of looked at it like what if we took our approach of adventure racing and ultra racing and just tried to go a bit faster and carry less. So we looked at doing big days, trying to hit about 200 kilometers a day. And that in itself created a challenge. But then once we crossed the border, we were getting up, riding by five and riding through until about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And you'd wake up and your bike would be covered in frost, in ice, because it's so cold. And then suddenly the sun's setting at about 4.30, 5 o'clock, because you're in the middle of winter and the night becomes really cold again. So the weather played quite an aspect in, yeah, the challenge of the morning, getting going and carrying on each day. Um, And in terms of being able to communicate with the outside world, is that something that is available out there or not? Uh, No. Well, there's a pay phone at the Ilkolka Roadhouse, which was cool. Got to phone my mum from there and let her know we're all right. But we both carried a spot GPS tracker um, for emergency aspects and I guess you could carry a sat phone if you wanted and we also had Chad's parents in a four-wheel drive hanging around Cooper Pedy just in case something did go wrong as kind of a backup knowing if we did hit that emergency button then they could come there would be someone to come get us pretty soon if something went wrong. Was there any point during the trip where you were like I just don't want to see your face or your butt riding behind you right now (laughs) ride away from me and I'll see you at the end of the day or is it important that you stay together throughout the course of each day yeah we always stay together but I'd say Chad and I are very solo people and I think that's why it works so well well I can't say we spoke a huge amount during the days we'd listen to music or just be with our own thoughts and I think that's why it worked so well it's not that pressure of having to converse with someone. And I know Chad's got huge experience, as do I, so I'm not worrying about him. Like if he's having a bad time, I don't really care. But if it's someone <laughs> like that I've brought out there, then you feel a bit guilty about it. But, yeah, we very much, I guess, enjoy our own thoughts, the fact that then we're happy to ride in eyesight of each other, but we don't have to be right next to each other. And yeah, but it was always important to be near each other. You know, someone's bike broke down or you needed to fix something or whatnot. It was important to have the both of us. Yeah, yeah. Now, were your bikes custom made for this trip or did you use the bike that you did on your um, previous adventures? No, I was very fortunate that Curve Cycling set me up on one of their big adventure bikes. So it's 29 inch wheels with three inch tires. So big bulky tires. Chad had a very similar setup as well. And that's just important for the desert and the sand, yeah? Yeah, so essentially the wider the tires, the better you're gonna go in the sand and you can run the tires at a really low pressure. 
Um, and it's also bikes that can take quite a load. So you're putting, you know, 50 kilos of gear on them plus a 70 kilo person. It's a lot of weight on a bike. Um, but yeah, these bikes were built and designed for deserts by people that ride them. And yeah, it's an incredible bike for doing stuff like this. So you're out in the middle of nowhere. Did you happen across anybody else? Was anyone else out there doing anything? <laughs> No. So we saw one man at the Ilkolka Roadhouse that owns it and lives a very solitude life, which is pretty fascinating. He must like his own company and his own thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Him and his few dogs. Was he, was he up for lots of conversation with you? He was a character. He was quite shy, but yeah, we did. We ended up having a coffee with him in his little shed out the back and yeah, he was a lovely man, but you could see he loved his own time. Very interesting. Yeah. But then we didn't see a single car until our last day on the road. So there's a logbook at a bunch of the corners or the South Australian border and no one had crossed the SA border 10 days prior before us. So the last people to cross were 10 days before and we didn't see anyone until our final day, um, which was pretty epic. It yeah. just added to the remoteness. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that people, different people have a different response to, you know, the heartland of Australia or, or the outback. And some people find it incredibly overwhelming because it is so big and empty and other people feel yeah. completely uh, energised and filled up by it. Um, where do you sit in that, that range? Yeah, I think Chad as well and myself get energised by it. There are a few moments where we'd kind of just stop and just think, whoa, we are so far from anything right now. Like neither of us have ever been this remote in a car, boat, plane or anything. We are just so far from anyone. And we love the idea that you can travel, you know, 1,400 kilometres across Australia and not see a single car. It's, to us, that was incredible. Where'd you go 500 kilometres south on the Nullarbor and you're seeing... 1500 cars almost each day sort of thing yeah we thought it was incredible that it was so remote out there and we were just two hooligans on push bikes <laughs> <laughs> unwashed hooligans on yeah push absolutely bikes. <laughs> well if you can't do it there where can you do it right yeah um so then you make your way to cooper pd and what and what happens then so at cooper pd we were pretty wrecked what happened straight away is we had a beer and a big pub feed which is pretty nice and <clears throat> Chad's parents were there. So it was a lovely, I guess, welcoming party. We had some familiar faces and they got us a hotel room to stay at, which was just perfect. So you hadn't and, planned that for yourselves? You thought you'd just stay in your bivvy? But... Uh, we always planned we'd probably stay somewhere um, in Cooper Pedy, but it was nice to be able to roll in and just have everything sorted and just like a big hug from friendly people that have got a lot of love to give. So, yeah, we hung out with them. And as we were there, it was pretty interesting because we went into the Amberdale and there was no news of COVID or anything happening. And we joked about it. Uh, like what happens if we get to the other side and like the whole of Australia is in lockdown and we come out of the Amberdale and it was right as the mining COVID cluster had started to happen. And literally all of Australia was in lockdown. So the NT border had shut and that meant we couldn't get into Alice Springs. So that's um, what you were headed into the Northern Territory. So right? Yeah, our plan was another 700 kilometres north into the Northern Territory. 
to finish in Alice Springs. However, yeah, with borders, it just didn't work or it wasn't going to be feasible. And from there, our trip kind of ended and we luckily went back with Chad's parents back to Adelaide. I, I have this, and I'm sure this is not how it unfolded, but I almost have this picture of you guys at the border on your bikes. But we've we've just ridden, you know, 1,300 kilometres. <laughs> we haven't seen anyone for, like, weeks. We, we, we don't have COVID. Let us in. And they're just yeah. like, nope. Well, one, there wasn't a single person at the border, but my mum had a very similar thought because she was watching the COVID clusters unfold and she was terrified we were going to get turned back at the border. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just, so then after, at that point, you must have felt disappointed? Uh, in a way, Chad and I were both pretty wrecked. I think, yeah, the Amberdale took a lot more out of us than we expected. Um, so, to continue riding to Alice Springs was going to be a bit of an ask and both our bikes were in pretty tired condition, you know, 1400 kilometers across sand dunes, sand gets everywhere and starts to work with the bearings and the drivetrain bags start to break. Um, so yeah, we were still, we were kind of unsure where we were going to continue from, but I think COVID sort of made up our mind and yeah, we both thought that was a fitting end to a pretty epic expedition instead of busting our guts to ride another 700k which we've both ridden before it was much nicer to finish it with a beer in Cooper PD with Chad's parents yeah with some nice friendly hugs yeah. welcome hugs for sure um so I'm just thinking if someone else is thinking about embarking on a trip like this what what's the process for them in in getting it planned and making sure yeah. they're safe and have enough water and enough food and all that sort of stuff yeah, I think it all comes down to experience. So this wasn't the first road Chad and I have ridden, first desert track. And in terms of outback roads, this is definitely one of the most remote that you could do. So, so this isn't the one to jump in on if you're inexperienced. No, not at all. Yeah, and right. a few people have yeah, reached out saying, oh, it looks awesome. I'd love to ride it. And it's just like go with caution. You know, go ride a Birdsville track or the Una Data track where it's only... 200 kilometers before a town and like a 400 kilometer road sort of thing so building up through that experience and through riding the i guess shorter roads and more supplied roads and tracks you learn how much water you need you learn what you can get by with how far you can ride so i think that's important the slow development instead of jumping deep into something terrifying like an Amberdale, you start with little rides and, yeah, build it up to there. I'm sure you get asked this all the time, what's on the horizon? Yeah, what's next, hey? This is, it was actually something Chad and I spoke a lot about on the ride. Like for a few years now, we've both been doing desert rides that get bigger and better. And we both kind of said, well, how do you go bigger or better than this, like the Amberdale? is one of the biggest and most remote roads in Australia and it took us definitely towards our limit. And how do you top it? Or where's the point where you become content with not topping it each year and you become happy with just being out there and riding a place that's as beautiful in a different aspect, you know, less remote, less hard. But when do you become content with not going bigger and better every year? And that's something we're still pondering. 
Um, but we also joked at the end, why don't we just go do a knitting course in a wine region next year where it's going to be <laughs> much more relaxed and comfortable. <laughs> I don't know that I can picture you doing that, Jimmy. <laughs> no, uh, if you asked me the day after the Amberdell, <laughs> I think I would have loved it. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's it's a, that matter of at what point in your life is it I don't need to challenge myself like that anymore or there's a different, it manifests itself in a different way and a different type of challenge? I think it's a big question. Like, yeah, you've ridden around the world, you've ridden roads like this. How, how do you keep topping it? And it's a question I don't really have an answer to and it's do I need to keep topping it, so to say? When are you happy with just riding your bike in the raw form of why you started doing all this and it's to ride a bike because you love to ride a bike doesn't necessarily matter where or what you're doing it's you're still doing what you love yeah and so um i know that you had said before um covid hit you had some overseas trips planned does that still have the draw for you now after having done this oh absolutely yeah when the world opens up yeah i'll be over there in a heartbeat without a doubt so there's still huge appeal there um, but yeah, I've got plenty of rides bubbling away, probably not on the same level as the Amberdale, um, but definitely as epic in a different way. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I guess that's the beauty of Australia. It's a big, wide open country. So there's lots to explore, right? Oh, absolutely. And while we are here with COVID, I think, yeah, we're very fortunate to have places like the Amberdale the Streslecky, the Flinders Ranges, all in our outback. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I hope um, that when you embark on your next adventure and you, you know, roll into that next little country town um, and you're exhausted and you then you recovered, you'll come back and talk to us some more about where you've been and what you've seen. Yeah, I love coming back to chat to you guys every time. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time. And um, I... Um, I will stay tuned and, and follow with um, great interest what you're up to. Great. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Jimmy. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at Australian Geographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.